This is episode 107 with Dr. Ali Walker. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Dr. Ali Walker is a lecturer and research fellow in leadership and creating social change at the Centre for Social Impact at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Ali is the author of the best-selling book, Get Conscious, How to Stop Overthinking and Come Alive. And I kick off this interview straight away asking Ali what it actually means to get conscious. Ali's a contributor to the House of Wellness TV program on Channel 7 Australia and speaks regularly for companies, organisations and schools about leadership and well-being. Ali spent several years researching consciousness, social change and law with a doctorate from the Australian National University. In addition to her PhD, Ali has a master's degree in international law and international relations. Her work focuses on the question, what conditions and systems lead to personal and social flourishing? And I freaking loved this chat with Ali and I could have spoken for another hour at least. Her understanding of human behavior and more so her ability to communicate it is brilliant. In this episode, we discuss what it means to get conscious and live consciously the four steps to being in the moment, the difference between thinking and feeling and some tools that you can implement to help you navigate life better, parenting tips and the importance of emotional literacy, which goes well beyond parenting to be honest because it's anyone who might actually say anything in their lifetime to children. (laughs) We really unpack the importance of emotional literacy around that. We talk about human connection and the human connection quiz that allows you to understand yourself and others much better and how this can improve your relationships. And we unpack so much more around human behavior. The human connection quiz we discuss will be available at Ali's website and I highly recommend you check it out and do it. As you'll hear me discuss with her, it really helped me understand some people around me a lot better and prevented some emotional challenges. Ali did tell me afterwards that she's making the quiz information even better and more streamlined. So if it's not on the website when you visit after listening to this episode, please be patient and continually check in with it. So her website will be in the show notes and at the moment it's dralwalker.com which I'll link into the show notes of this episode. I'm going to start using the quiz actually with my clients to allow me to help them understand their relationships and themselves better. It really is brilliant. Before we hear from Ali, I want to take a minute to read a review. I'd normally do an iTunes review here, but this time I wanted to read some feedback from our mental strength training online program that was shared in our private Facebook podcast group. I wanted to share it with you guys because the powerful thing is once you invest into this program, you have the material with you forever. It's a little bit of a long review here, but I want you to listen intently because, well, as what this podcast is about, learning from other people's stories and life experiences, I'm sure you'll resonate with some of this or take a strategy to help you align parts of your life again. So this review is from Adrian. I recently started working on my mental strength training program again. I've been consistent with my checklist, daily rituals and questioning, but I knew some of my content could be much stronger. 
My values are strong and didn't change the second time round. But my stress management question sheet looks bare. Looking back on my first round of questioning regarding stress management, I can't believe how much I was concerning myself with things outside of my control. When I look at the page, the answers I gave all still mean something to me, but I have no attachment to them. I actually smile when I see them all written down. A massive mindset shift by just thanking my mind when these negative aspects appear. Today I worked on my gold memories and it was powerful. First time it was strong as I had work in this space once before, but this time it was so powerful. I was shaking, all three memories the same, just more vivid, more here, now and in this room. I could see these moments in my life as clearly as the day they happened. My heart was beating out of my chest as though I was living them again. Then I created my anchors over and over as long as I could feel that energy. I missed that last time. I have just created the most powerful tool in my toolbox to date. I'm so grateful for your work, Brett Robbo. This is only getting more momentum. (laughs) Yeah, I love this. That's brilliant, Adrian, and thank you for sharing it. The power of journaling, reflecting, and being brutally honest with yourself and the power of anchoring into the emotional states and energetic conditions that serve and help you instead of hindering you. This can be the difference between an anxiety attack or not. This can be the difference between nailing a presentation or not. This can be the difference between improving your relationships or not. If you're keen to have this material and guidance with you forever, you can check out all the info on the website at yourlifeofimpact.com and you'll find it under the tab that says online programs. Okay, now let's hear from the legend herself, Dr. Ali Walker. Ali, what does it mean to get conscious? Oh, wow. <laughs> You're going right in there with the big guns. Okay, look, I got really interested in this idea of getting conscious because I am a self-described overthinker and I even got to the point where I was describing myself as a thinkaholic. And basically that means where your thoughts are just getting in the way of you living a happy life because you're just sort of overthinking everything. And so what I wanted to do is dumb down the process of mindfulness because it didn't make any sense to me. I guess it's not dumbing down the process, but just making it really simple because people used to say, just be in the moment and just, you know, be present and just look at what's happening in front of you. And I needed a lot more detail than that. <laughs> like actually spell that out for me. It was spell out being in the moment. What does that mean? So in Get Conscious, so I wrote this book about being in the moment, having four steps. So if you think about every single moment presents us with four choices, how to think, how to feel, how to sense in your body. So w- what you're sensing in your body and then how to act. They're the four choices that every moment gives us. And so in Get Conscious in the book, I basically take us through those steps in how to think. And basically every thought we think is a choice, but every feeling we have is not a choice. So that's kind of trying to take away the confusion out of that because a lot of people feel like their brain's just in control of them. And getting conscious is basically saying, no, no, it's actually a choice that we all have about how we approach every single moment. Sometimes it feels like it's not a choice, that we're just flooded by emotions. But there's some very real steps we can take to become the person that we want to be, to live the life that we want to lead and to feel the way that we want to feel. And so that's what getting conscious is all about. Can you just elaborate a little bit on that where thinking is a choice, but feeling is not a choice? What do you mean by that? Yeah. So if you think about thoughts as being like, they're just, they're just messages from your brain based on previous experiences we've had or conditioning from our childhood. And it's almost like tuning into a radio station. So you're constantly having thoughts. If you just think about, it's just like, you know, you and you, you know, those old analog radios. <laughs> 
Yeah. My, it's really funny when people come into my bedroom. I still have one of those Sony Dream Machines from like when I was fourteen. Right, so um, you're a collector. Well, no, <laughs> it's I an think antique. actually, yeah. And in fact, my two-year-old has knocked the cover off it, so I have to kind of push it back on each day. But it's I don't like the the I don't like a lot of electricity in my bedroom when I'm asleep. You know mm. that whole you know the the dirty electricity thing. Absolutely. So so those old school ones that you just like obviously it is electricity, but they're so low-fi because it's analog radio and they just have literally just have the time and an alarm clock capacity. Um, so I quite like having that. But if you imagine when you used to have to tune in a radio and you know you how you sort of t- doing the dial, you know, you're pushing the dial and you get voices every now and then, you get static and, and then you tune into a station, that's like our brain. That's like our thought. We are constantly tuning in and we don't notice it because our thoughts are so habitual that we're just thinking them constantly and it seems like they seem really rational. Like our, our thoughts tell – I call our thoughts the storyteller of our brain mm. and they tell some really compelling stories and those stories are just basically a mixture of every voice that's spoken to us since we've been born and we put those voices all together and obviously there are some more influential voices than others. Obviously our primary caregivers, members of our family, strong role models growing up, our teachers all of those voices are mixed together and become a combined inner voice. And that that inner voice, is it makes up our thoughts. It dictates our thoughts. It's almost like having a narrator or a loudspeaker in our mind constantly going. It's never off. And so we're just constantly listening to our thoughts. So when I say that thoughts are a choice, we can always choose whether to invest in a thought or whether to disregard the thought. So the voice, the inner voice is constantly going, you're this, you're that, you should do this, you should do that. And we have the capacity to answer that voice, respond to that voice. We have the capacity to make a choice about how we're going to listen to the voice even. We can say, you know what, for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to scroll through social media, just like a bit of a robot, you know, with a finger, just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Or for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to sit here in silence. And I'm going to be as aware of that inner voice as I can try to turn the volume down on that inner voice. And that's the choice I can have. So that's what I mean when I say we have a choice about whether we listen to our thoughts. But when it comes to our feelings, our feelings are a totally different beast. Our feelings are almost part of our sense memory. And they come from what I call our emotional operating system. And again, that emotional operating system has been built since the moment that we were born. But it's a bit, it works a little bit differently. So our feelings are uh, not so much the stories we're telling ourselves. They're the kind of um, core ex- emotional experiences that we've had since we were very, very young, you know, since we since we were born. And those feelings are less voluntary or automatic. They just come up at will and they come up depending on how we're or what we're experiencing. So a lot of it is to do with automatic behavior. I'll give you an example. Say we had a really terrible time adjusting to transition. So we didn't enjoy going to preschool or school. We don't like first days at jobs. Every time now as an adult that we're coming up to something new or a change, all of those same feelings that we had as a very as, as from early on as, as a young child, they will resurface. And so it's not a matter then of choosing to not experience that emotion because it's a part of who we are. What we can do is we can choose the thoughts, the story that we're telling about that emotion. So to, to follow with the example, say I'm coming up to a transition, I might be starting a new job at work and I'm starting to feel very anxious about that job. The thoughts that I'm having, the story that I'm telling about that experience might be something like, oh, you're pathetic. You're so, this happens every single time you're coming up for a change. Don't let anyone see. You'll come across as not being confident. Okay, that's that's one option of the thoughts that I could have. Or I could choose different thoughts and say, yeah, changes are hard. Transitions are hard for everyone. This time, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be really mindful. I'm going to be really gentle with myself. I'm not going to organize too much for that first week. And I'm going to give myself as much support as I can through this transition. That's how we can deal with the thoughts. But the feelings are something else. The feelings might be something like the racing heart when we're walking into our new job, the sweaty palms, you know, feeling sweaty, um, 
the the senses that we have, you know, the, the butterflies in the stomach, the, the generalized feeling of anxiety when we're walking in. So that's less of a choice. We can't use our conscious brain there to say, I'm not going to be sweaty because that's just not going to work. Or we can't say to ourselves, I'm not going to have butterflies in my stomach. What we need to do there is we need to we need to actually heal our way out of uh, out of any feelings that we're uncomfortable with. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That, that you're, you're speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so feelings need to be healed. Thoughts need to be chosen. That's what I say. So with getting conscious, we have the ability to choose our thoughts. With our feelings, we need to approach them very differently. We need to honor all of our feelings. And if we don't honor our feelings, you're basically just pushing them back down to come up at a different time. And so with my feelings, I very much approach them. And, and when I've worked with with other individuals, I approach feelings like you'd approach a young child because basically that's where our feelings come from. Our feelings are in that deep sense memory in our emotional operating system. So you're basically dealing with a three-year-old when someone is having a feeling. So the only way you can respond there is through gentleness and healing and love and empathy and support. I love everything that you've said about all that. And for the regular listeners, there's a lot of um, very familiar language there around both the feelings and the thoughts. And I was going to ask you, if how are we living if we're not living consciously and mm-hmm. what are the consequences of not? And I kind of feel like you just touched on it there about the suppression of the emotions, but is mm-hmm. there more that you would unpack with that? So when, when we're not living consciously, I guess it's more about being in that inner voice without having a sense of of where that comes from. So and believing letting, those stories you mean exactly, and not Exactly, exactly, yep. exactly. And but also letting that voice rule us. Mm. So a lot of the times that inner voice is really unhelpful and says some very negative things. And what I find as well in my own experience and when talking with clients is that those that that negative inner voice tends to become very powerful in times of stress or change. And we almost let our guard down a little bit. So it's easy to be conscious, you know, when you're on holidays and you're feeling good or, or you're in a particularly happy time in your life. But if you're going through a lot of stress, it's almost like that inner voice, the volume goes up a little bit and we let our guard down. And it's it's all about that automatic behavior you know, when you look back on things and think, I don't even know why I did that. Mm. It's just, it was just almost automatic. And then I think there's a lot of numbing behaviors. So because these feelings are coming up that are uncomfortable and for whatever reason, we're not in a space to respond to those with empathy and love. What we tend to do is we numb the feelings and we then focus or, or we fall back onto the the unhelpful numbing habits, whatever they might be for everyone. It's like, choose your poison. Everyone's got one. It's either eating or smoking or drinking or, you know, overanalyzing or talking until you're blue in the face or, you know, reading into things that aren't really there or gambling or, you know, getting angry. Everyone's got some unhelpful coping mechanism. Like I'll, I'll get quite personal here in my, even in my extended family, we tend to get like quite angry or when we're stressed, if something comes up that we're not quite sure of, or that we don't understand or, you know, we're annoyed by something. It, the immediate response is kind of anger and aggression, like acting out. Like, why did that happen? Urgh, you know, that, that sort of road rage thing. And I'm really unpacking that at the moment because, you know, especially and I have two children, I don't want to pass that. I'm really conscious that I don't want to pass that on with them. And I don't want that to be my default coping mechanism where I just kind of get a bit cranky or get annoyed because it's an automatic behavior. And then it's really interesting to look back in our family and see that these behaviors are often either learnt behaviors or just passed down in our DNA where that was the coping mechanism of our grandparents or great grandparents. And that was just the way they handle things. So I think when we're not conscious, it's not kind of a judgment call about someone, oh, you're not conscious. It's about saying, are you living in a way that doesn't support your values? Are you living in a way that you don't want to, or that's not really leading to health and happiness? And yeah, I think a lot, a lot of it is that automatic behavior that we fall on, fall into. That's interesting that that's what you're unpacking because for the last probably six or eight months, that's been an area that I've been working on myself a lot and I speak openly with my fiance Marie about it because unfortunately 
I've realized that my trigger when I'm a little bit reactive and that little mm. bit of outburst, as we do as humans sometimes, comes from when I have a lot on my to-do list mm. and, and I feel like every time someone asks me to do something, I'm like, in my head, I would think, don't they realize how much I've got to do? Wait, where's, <laughs> well, I've just, I just need more time to do this. Girl. And it might, yeah. that's what's going through my head. And then it might just be a little tiny reaction, but I'm really aware of that. And you know, it's, it takes work and I've got tools and strategies as I know you would too. Mm. And it's really beautiful now when I realize that's all going through my head and I think, wow, I was about to say something or I was about to just slam that door a little bit harder or I was about to show that little crazy, stupid voice in my head in an outbursting way. And now I just realized that's actually not reality. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. sort of just creating that space in the mind. And in, and then on the flip side, I had someone in my life a few weeks ago who was going through something stressful and they started crying in that situation. And my response was, ah, oh, I probably wouldn't have cried about that. Not, again, not judgmental, just like observing. Like that's interesting that they're crying about that. But then I, as I was thinking about it, I was like, no, I would have, I would have, as you just said, like I would have been reactive and I would have let anger be the response there as the coping mechanism. And there's a great quote, and I can't remember who said it, but it's not my quote. It's anger is the bodyguard of sadness. And Mm. I love that quote because now when I see people upset about things or crying, I'm like, you're actually allowing that sadness to come through without the shield Mm. of anger. Anger is often the kind of monster that steps out to to protect us when we're feeling vulnerable. And so I think it's about getting to a space where we don't feel the need for that protector or the shield to come through because we are safe. Um, and and I think we need to actually – I'm really interested in this conversation about anger because it's such a taboo in our society that we all get so ashamed of ourselves when we're angry because it tends to come up and then we just go, oh, I can't believe I acted like that. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so ashamed. And then we push it back down again instead of saying, you know what, anger is really adaptive. It's really helpful in some situations, i.e. if you're being taken advantage of, it's really good for you to be able to get angry. You know, it's a, it's a really good adaptive emotion to have. But when we're using it in the way that, you know, I sometimes use it, like when you're getting angry at someone, if you're driving in your car, that's not adaptive because <laughs> you're not that's, not, that's not helping you. It's not helping them. It's not developing your relationship. Sometimes anger does develop your relationship with someone else and therefore it's a good way to be. But yeah, I think it's about understanding, okay, this is a, sh- I'm angry again, get, again, like getting conscious about emotions. So this is what I, the process I would go through. I'm angry at this. So identifying the emotion, there was a study done at UCLA and they found in 2007 that simply the act of identifying an emotion lessens lessens its intensity and its power over you. So just simply the act of saying something like, I'm really angry about this and I'm supposing that your podcast is G-rated. So, you know, there might be some other words. No, no, go for it if you need to, if you really feel like it'll get the message. I'm really angry about this. And just the act of saying that really lessens the intensity of the emotion. So you might seem like it it might feel a bit robotic to begin with. Like I'm really angry about this. But I've started using it for I'm overthinking this. I'm overthinking this. And just simply saying that to yourself, Mm. simply identifying emotion lessens its power. That's the first step of getting conscious. And then once you've identified the emotion, you can use those tools and strategies that you know about. Because once you say, I'm angry about this, then you can say, well, is that helpful in this situation? Is it adaptive? Does it develop my relationship with this person to be angry here? Is it appropriate? And then you can act based on a reasonable kind of assessment of the situation rather than that automatic unconscious response where we immediately get triggered and use it as a coping mechanism and then probably regret it later. Yeah, I like how you say there, is it helpful? Because that's the way when I teach emotional intelligence aspects and people in this space, I try to make them understand that, you know, are your emotions or your energetic conditions, are they helpful or unhelpful? Mm -hmm. And if you can weigh that up and the more that you weigh it up, the more automatic it becomes in that positive way because like you said where you are sort of reacting or responding or living automatically most of the time mm-hmm. and, and something I've started doing is because anger had a bit of a trigger it's in itself for me I've started with my children using the word cross because I think it is important that they understand that there are certain behaviors that they're engaging in that aren't helpful and that that I need to respond to I've got two sons so it's 
it's good for me to sometimes say, but instead of saying I'm angry, I now say I'm cross. And it's taken the trigger out of the word anger for me. Mm. So I can say to my he's almost three, little maniac that he is. <laughs> he's absolutely gorgeous. He's too gorgeous for his own good. But I can say to him, I'm very cross when you do that. And it just feels less aggressive to say that. But he knows that, you know, painting with fluoro texture on the wall <laughs> is not the right thing to do. And I can say that I make that makes me really cross. But again, you know, it just sorry, there's a bit of a tangent. But on that, on my two-year-old, he responds much more to saying, Will mummy be sad if I do that? So a few times I was saying, you know, I'm really cross. And then he said, are you sad? So he was more concerned about me being upset and sad mm. from his behaviour than he was about me getting cross. So again, you've just... So will you now yell at him and say, I am very sad, even <laughs> though there's a lot sad. of anger behind I'm that. I'm very sad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, I say I'm going to be very cross if you do that. But it's, you know, they learn. They just learn the language. And that's also the beauty about... Like, like I think we can't be too – it has to be a kind of a dance and a, a beautiful unfolding because if you try to overthink these things, sometimes you lose the beauty of humanity and just the moment. And sometimes it is appropriate to to lose it and then later on go, do you know what? I And I say this to my six-year-old, my, my two-year-old's probably a bit young, but I'll sometimes say to my six-year-old, so I've been thinking about how I got angry before. Do you agree that what you'd done wasn't great? And he'll go, yeah. And I go, I, I don't, I wish I hadn't gotten that angry. You know, maybe I could have talked to you about it at the time. You know, and, and again, I'm, I'm teaching him that I'm not perfect, but we talk about it. We talk it through later. And so I'm sort Beautiful. of hopefully trying to teach him that it's okay that you don't, you're not emotionally perfect in every situation. No one ever will be, but you just, it's a, it's a moving feast and it's a moving beast and you will keep returning to it. And the perfection is in the trying. I think, in relationships, you know, that I care so much that I want to get this right with you and I want to make sure you're okay. I'm interested to know, with you as a parent, how much mm-hmm. of the way that you speak to your children like that and the way that you approach situations, mm-hmm. how much of it do you think about first of understanding how, uh, you know, how much of our development comes from and replays in our life of the first seven years and how much influence and impact you mm. have and, and the establishment of the human as a human for those first seven years? How much of that goes through your mind when you think about how you're going to parent your children? <laughs> it's such a good question because I think, again, you know, when you're going off to sleep at night, there's that voice that's like, okay, so this is what you should do and this is what children need. <laughs> and the first seven years and be really this and and she even sounds like that in my head <laughs> and then and then I think you know the day-to-day actual execution of that is far more messy but then again probably far more beautiful mm. and I just think we're just fumbling in the dark a lot of the time but my philosophy is just be there as much as you can and when you are there they need to know how much you love them because if if they know how much you love them, then all the all the messiness, all the ah, I probably went twenty percent too hard on that, or you know I probably expected a bit too much there, or you know they're only a kid, and you know all those all the things where we inevitably fall fall down will be forgiven if our children know that we we love them, and that's communicated in a million different ways depending on who you are. But for me, that's about time and talking and and being present when we're around and listening to them you know and I say to my son sometimes because he started school last year so he's going into year one now and I say to him are you happy in your heart and he knows what that means it's not just me saying are you happy because that could that could mean a number of things but I say are you happy in your heart and he he always takes a second and listens and and then he'll say yeah and uh, so I think emotional literacy is mm. so important for children. So I'm always talking about and, and just little things like reading stories at night, I think is a critical aspect of parenting that is often overlooked. I, I try to read, you know, two to three stories to both my boys at night and do faces as well. And, and again, like I hate it. I, I don't want to come across like this is a new rule that you have to read two to three stories to your child every single night because that's not what life's like and some nights it doesn't happen. But I love doing the 
characters and voices. Mm -hmm. And that's a way to teach emotional literacy because sometimes emotional literacy can feel really robotic, like sadness, do sadness. But but my two-year-old, he loves doing faces. So I'll say, what does sad look like? And then he does, you know, the exaggerated lower lip stick out. And then what is what does happy look like? What does surprise look like? And then so when you're reading the story with them, you can kind of point out the characters and what are they feeling now? And that's a nice and, and also watching movies with your children or TV shows and then reflecting as you go. So I was watching, you know, that movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the role Absolutely. they turned into a movie. Yeah. So I was watching that with my six year old over the, the summer holidays. And that was really nice to kind of go. You know the girl who I want it now. I want it now. <laughs> that was really a great way to to see a character being entitled and indulged. And then I can say to my six year old when he's saying, "I want this," you know, remember the character on Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? What did you think of her? What did what did you think she was like? Yes, yeah, spoil, not nice. And, and I, okay, so how would you like to be in that? And so then you're not the parent telling the child how they should be, you're offering a contrast to their behavior or, you know, offering like a mirror to them, Mm. holding up this mirror and saying, how did you respond to that girl on the movie? Yeah, not well. Okay, well, do you want to come across like her? No, I don't. So, and, you know, Charlie, he was the honest and kind child. And that's, you know, got so many great lessons in it. So I think using stories and and TV shows and mu- movies are really nice ways to teach emotional literacy to kids in a kind of a simple and more, I guess, natural, intuitive way rather than sitting down and going, okay, children, today we're talking about emotional literacy, you know, because no family does that ever. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, I think, on the run. And also, I you've probably already guessed by now, like I, already, I always err on the side of more communication than less. (laughs) (laughs) So my friends will always say, oh, what do you do with your children when they say this? I will just keep talking about it until I feel like they don't need to talk about it anymore. Like I don't try to be this perfect, censored, only say the right things. I think you're just honest and you speak from the heart. And, you know, if there's a kid at school who's done something that I think is a bit questionable, I might say to my son, so what's blah, blah like? They, they seem like an interesting kid, hmm. you know, instead of getting there and saying, I don't like them, I don't want you to hang out with them, or that was weird, or I don't like, you know, I, I saw that they were bullying or something like that. You say, what's, what are they like? Okay. And, and what are they like in the classroom? Right. And are you their friend? And what are they like with you? And how do you think they treat other people? And so a lot of questions. Let them unpack it themselves. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Rather than the parent saying, this is a nice kid, just a lot of, and, and this all, a lot of. A lot of my philosophy as a parent comes from my mum. She was a primary school teacher, had five children, and she's a counsellor. So I just feel like I've had the most perfect role model. And she and I talk about parenting and early child education, early childhood education a lot of the time because we're both passionate about it. And, and yeah, it's all just about talking and being there. There's a great book called Being There, actually, um, in those first few years. And oh, I, I think, heard of that yeah, one. yeah, all of us, all of us, you know, I work, I work part time. And so I'm not with my child, my, with my children every single day. But when I am there, I try to make it good and talk, talk to them as much as possible. Being present. I love it. Yeah. Now, Ali, I was going to say this about 10 or 15 minutes ago, but we were just on a roll. But <laughs> before we sort of dive in a couple of different directions, I just want to say, Dr. Ali Walker, welcome to your life of impact. Oh. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I love it. Now, we've been connected through the Change Room programs and Zenergy, and the listeners are actually aware of this because of Zenergy and the Change Room programs because I had the legend himself, Matty Elliott, on a recent episode, Hmm. and he he blew us away, and we had some uh, very interesting discussions. And you're part of these programs and helping educate people to live better lives through these programs. Mm. Oh, it's it's honestly, one of the best things I've ever done in my life to be part of this. And I can easily say that I have been changed and transformed by the Zenergy programs, even as a 
presenter, mentor. You know, I'm, I'm not someone who's gone through the program myself officially, but just being a part of it is life-changing. And I'm so happy that I met everybody. <laughs> yeah, and and is that because that you learn from how other people learn and you learn from how other people implement and learn from how they make their changes? There's that. It's it's also the energy of the of the of the space of the mm. people that are coming to it. So I think the mentors who are there, all of us are deeply passionate about what we do. We also care about other people and and their life experience. And so you've got this, you know, that's on one side where everyone's just basically this wave of love and and passion for for human behavior and well-being and experience and how we can optimize that. So that's on one side. And then you have the participants who come to the program and they are ready to change their lives for the better. And so they have this kind of blank slate moment. And that's not there's not often that you that you have that. Mm in life because most of us go through and we've been fortunate to, I I guess I can't speak for everyone. I can't say anything like most because it's a massive generalization, but I think a lot of the people who come to the change room have had significant change events in their life that have changed the course of their life. And so these people that come to the change room are there and they're saying, okay, this, this is it. This is step one. What do I do? And so meeting in the middle there, like the, the energy that that's create that, that creates on both sides from the, for everyone is just transformative to be a part of. It's, it's, it's like in the, the center of a, a catalyst and watching that change unfold is just such an incredible experience. I completely agree. And with what you were presenting, I was really intrigued with your last presentation on human connection. And this topic is kind of really hot in human behavior at the moment, I feel. And I'm often discussing it with many of my guests. It's obviously been a thing that's been around for a long time, but it's evolving mm. of the the purpose of it and the importance of it. So. Mm. Can you talk to us about your perspective and beliefs on human connection? And then please tell us a bit about the human connection quiz that you've created and how that came about. Yeah. So uh, look, my day job is that I'm a, a lecturer and a researcher in leadership at the University of New South Wales and and also culture change. And when I, so, and, and the, the PhD that I did was in understanding group dynamics and how people work together and how the role that we all play in teams and then the overall kind of personality that's created in a group. So, you know, you, you, if someone talked to you about your family, you can almost describe your family as having its own personality. And I think you can do that with every group. So this has been my work for for many years. And what I became interested in is this idea that when we're doing, you know, those personality quizzes that you can do to understand who you are. Mm-hmm. They tell you who you are as an individual, which is great and very helpful for lots of different things. But when I was doing my research, I was thinking, well, we're not really ever totally just individuals because we're always in some way, we're always in relationship to someone else, whether it's at work or at home or uh, in, a, in a friendship group, in a community group, in a sports team, we're always in relationship. And so I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting from a human connection perspective to understand how we all like to connect in groups, teams and relationships? So I, I started thinking, wouldn't it be great if I could come up with some kind of model or diagnostic test so that people could then identify how they liked to connect in groups? And so I, I've devised this human connection quiz that you can fill out and it's it's on my website. I'm sure you'll share the details. Absolutely. When you go into the website, it's a free quiz and it will tell you the way that you like to connect with other people. And this is, you know, this is useful for a first date or it's useful for <laughs> understanding your family better and also understanding how you like to work with others at, in a kind of a career sense. And so how it works is that if you if you think about the model, it's got, it's, it's, so it's a four quadrant model and it's got two axes. So basically imagine a rectangle divided into four, like into four quarters, and then there's two axes down the middle. So the first measure of how you like to connect is the frequency of connection. So how often do you like to connect with other people? And also how many other people do you like to connect with? So what's the size of your social network? Is it 
Is it small and tight-knit or is it large and dispersed all over the world? So that's the first one. So how frequently do you like to connect? The other one is the intensity of your connection. So how do you like to connect when you're with others? Do you like to have, you know, very deep one-on-one meaningful connections or do you like to have more impersonal public connections because you're low intensity? So what I say is that uh, low intensity subjects are things like the weather and current events down one end and then the other end of the of the spectrum is high intensity topics things like what's the meaning of life how's your inner child today and you know what like the, to be honest the things that we're talking about on this podcast right now would be considered high intensity absolutely topics. yeah so uh, human behavior human connection so so th- depending on your answers to the questions about those two axes, your frequency of connection and then your intensity of connection, you'll be given one of 17 different types that I've created in the human connection model. And they can sort of be explained in four primary types. So the high intensity, high frequency connectors, I call the sunlight connectors. Now, Sunlight connectors, I say, they can either light up a room or they can be the blinding light that's so intense that you need to look away because, you know, it's it's too much for other people. In conflict, sunlight types tend to be, they, they tend to lash out and also they're very verbal types because, you know, they have large social networks. They like hum- a lot of human connection. When we talk about human connection, by the way, I also want to make it really, really clear that when I'm talking about high intensity and low intensity people, It's not that low intensity people don't need connection. It's just that they don't need a lot of human connection. So low intensity people often get their connection from things like nature, musical instruments. They might like puzzles. They might like just being in the shed, tinkering by themselves. They can like animals. They just get their connection needs met in another way. They They could also like technology devices. So that's low intensity people. So high intensity people prefer a lot of human connection. So you've got your sunlight types are high intensity and they're also high frequency because they like a lot of human connection. You've probably guessed from just talking to me so far that I'm a high intensity, high frequency person because I love relationships and I love people and I love a lot of it. When I did the quiz, it kind of turned on me because I thought, oh yeah, hopefully I'll be one of those people that lights up a room. Turns out, no, I did the quiz. I'm one of those people, blinding light, intensity, (laughs) sunglasses. (laughs) Like unless you're also high intensity, it can be difficult for me to adjust my connection style (laughs) to be more low intensity. So you're a sunlight level three is is that right? I'm, I'm a sunlight level three. So sunlight has three three levels. So sunlight one, two, and three. And that's that's great. Like the sunlight level three type is the, the visionary type. So the, the sunlight level, level three type is always looking ahead at what's next and what's new and then trying to take the group with them. So th- that's a good role. Like it's a, it, there isn't, it's a necessary role, but it can also have its drawbacks because, you know, when you think of other types that are more based on belonging and fun, a sunlight level three can, can be a, a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> so they're the sunlights, they're high intensity, high frequency. Then you move down to the ocean types who are high intensity, but low frequency. And so they're called ocean types because if you think – of an ocean type, they so the, the ocean will come and it will absorb you in its connection and then it will withdraw like the tide into its own, back into its own world. And ocean types are very similar. So I call ocean types, they're, they're very therapeutic, they're very nurturing, they're very cleansing. Connecting with an ocean type can be like going for a long walk along the beach, you know, the water lapping around your ankles or having a refreshing ocean swim. And so a lot of ocean types tend to be in the kind of healing profession because they like those intense one-on-one human connections, but then they also like to withdraw and that's very necessary for them. So unlike the sunlight types, the ocean types, they don't want to be connecting the whole time, but they like those intense connections, but then they need to withdraw. And then, you know, but depending on if you're an ocean level one, two, three, your level of intensity will will vary depending on, on the answer, you, the result you get in the quiz. Mm-hmm. And then we move around to the tree types. The tree types are low intensity, low frequency. So remember before I was talking about low intensity types, they get their connection from sources other than humans. Mm. They prefer to have their 
human connection to be more impersonal. They don't like intense connections. I'll give you an example of someone that I know. I was recently on holiday with them and they're low intense. So they're a tree level two. And so we're away for the weekend, staying in a house together. They spent the time doing maintenance on the house. So doing a lot of gardening. They had a lot of jobs. So they weren't kind of going along with the rest of the group to the beach and coming home and preparing the meals. And do, but they were just on their own doing their jobs. So doing their gardening jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's a real, that's a typical tree type. <laughs> if they're not doing their jobs, like doing the gardening and, and sweeping or whatever, he likes doing puzzles. He likes doing jigsaw puzzles. So for a birthday once, he was given a 9,000 piece jigsaw puzzle. Okay. I've never even heard of 9,000 piece <laughs> jigsaw puzzles, but he also likes playing the piano. Okay. So I'm trying to sort of paint a picture of a tree type. Mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg to me, is a tri- typical tree type. Obviously, I'd have to get him to do the quiz, but he created an entire social network that was dedicated to being nonverbal, mm. and that is such a tree thing to do <laughs> because they they do like connecting, but they like connecting on their own terms and in short bursts and in a kind of a public, impersonal way. So that's a tree type. And then you have the final type, the final core type, and they are earth types. And earth types are high frequency but low intensity. So high uh, high frequency types means that they like a lot of human connection. They like to see people. They're very social, but they like that connection to be low intensity. They don't want to have a deep and meaningful conversation. They like parties. They like to be social. They're very practical. They're very resilient resourceful. They like talking about how they can use something in their own life for practical purposes. They don't like that. They would call emotions and philosophy. They might call them navel gazing or they, they like to deflect intensity with humor. Okay. So you, you might not believe it, but I actually married an earth type one and, and you're a sunlight level three and I'm a sunlight level three. (laughs) So what's great about our marriage is that he deflects anything that is too intense for me. Well, if he perceives that I'm being too intense, which is a lot of the time, he deflects it with humor. My husband's very funny. And so he'll make me giggle when I'm trying to talk about something serious. He'll say something funny and make me laugh. And then it just completely dissipates the intensity. It completely deflects any intensity just somewhere else. <laughs> and he, when he describes our dynamic, I said something about me being a sunlight level three and he said, I'm a rock and I'm completely immune to your sunlight. Like just <laughs> keep, keep the sunlight coming. It doesn't affect me whatsoever. And so that's great. Like that, that dynamic works for us. But then equally, my intensity obviously needs to go somewhere and it goes into my work. So that's, I think you just have to work out how you like to connect so if I was, say, in, in, fact, in fact, I have a perfect example because when I had my first son, I was at home with him for the first couple of years full time. And and in, I found that really difficult because, you know, I'm married to an earth one type. I'm a sunlight level three. I'm doing a lot of things at home that are very practical, very resourceful, being a mum, changing nappies, doing the washing, making dinner, making purees. You know, that's the, the life of having a little baby. And my intensity kind of had nowhere to go. So I wrote a book on maternity leave. And people look at that and say, you're mad, you're nuts. Like, what were you (laughs) thinking? You wrote a book on maternity leave. But honestly, it was an outlet for me. Like, Mm. it was a total pleasure to write a book because it was somewhere, it was almost like opening up the the furnace in my mind, you know, in creating a hole at the top of my mind and all my thoughts had somewhere to go. And that those thoughts and that research became a book. So it's just about once you once you identify your connection type, it's about realizing that there's nothing wrong with you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the fact that you might, for example, like to connect with people and then need three days to recover. Or you might be someone who likes to connect with so many people and you then burn out after six months because you can't say no and you don't understand why, but you're just like a, a little puppy dog for human connection. You just you, you find it difficult to to look away from it. And you maybe need to learn boundaries around that. And there's also nothing wrong with you if you're very practical and you don't like having emotional conversations. It's just your preferred connection type. And once we learn about our connection types, it can enhance our involvement in any relationship that we're in. So it can inform our marriage. And it's helped me so much in my relationship understand that if I'm trying to have a deep conversation with my husband, he's not being offensive when he's deflecting something with humor. That's just his form of connection. He thinks he's being funny. Like he thinks he's adding to the conversation. When I'm there trying to get intense, I'm trying to connect with him. So neither of us is wrong there. Both of us just have a fundamental style of relating. And all we can do there is get conscious 
of what the other person's intentions are for connection and then just try to not take it personally if we perhaps are in a relationship with someone who connects differently from us. Yeah, I think I need to thank you because I only did this, I came across you uh, last month, so in December, yeah. and I had mum visiting for a month uh, over Christmas and New Year's <laughs> and I helped her out with a lot of rehab and I've got a really close relationship with mum but mum is an earth. I'm not sure what level she would be but she's definitely an earth. She's a high frequency and yep. low intensity meaning loves to be right near you talking, talking, talking a lot of the time and yep. she'll, she'll have a laugh when she listens to this but it's often <laughs> uh, often you know a lot of small talk and about other people and things like that yep. and I had done the quiz before she arrived and I'm an ocean level two. So, ah, <laughs> so yeah. I'm a high intensity but lower frequency. I yeah. love being connecting with people but I prefer it to be conversations like this and in-depth and yeah, yeah. not all day and not every minute that we're in each other's um, proximity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. it really helped me to not be stressed about that and there were so many times that you went through my mind over the previous <laughs> month and just saying, yeah. that's all right, mum's high frequency, low intensity. <laughs> I'm high intensity, low frequency. That's just our difference. <laughs> Can I tell you a really funny story about Please that? Please do. So, so my mother-in-law is also an earth type and and so I'm sunlight level one, so level three, and she's earth level one. And so we can talk, you know, seven times a day on the phone. I love her. We have a really great relationship. It's very funny though, when I start getting too high intensity, because the moment I start trying to have a conversation, like steer the conversation towards kind of relationships <laughs> or anything. She goes, okay, Ali, well, I've got the electrician coming, so I better get going. Um, <laughs> and I just smile to myself. When we first, when, when I first got together with my husband, so he's got a, a low intensity family. And to put myself into perspective, I've come from a family of five children. So there's seven of us in the family, five of us are sunlight level threes. So Wow. Can you even imagine our family and how intense it is? So then I interesting my, dinner table conversations. Oh, it's it's like no wonder anger is a trigger for me. I'm um, going back to our original conversation because we had these. You know, I describe our family as being like one of those panel shows. You know, where they get all these people that disagree on everything and then just see what happens. <laughs> that was my that was my family. That was dinner table growing up. So then I come into my husband's family and they're low intensity, and for the first kind of ten years. <laughs> I was like, do they even like me? No one. <laughs> so, so I should say high intensity people connect by talking, low intensity people connect by being together. Mm. So low intensity. I never understood why people would go to the gym together. You know, I'd be like, why do you want to go to the gym? You, you're on the treadmill, they're on the bike, they're doing what? You're not talking, you're not connecting. <laughs> and it, now it's only just with the model that I realize, oh, they're low intensity. That is them connecting. You know, people going on a road trip and they have the music on the whole time. They're not connecting. That is them connecting because they're low intensity connectors. And so my my in-laws, my my husband's family, they're all low intensity connectors. I come from this family, so high intensity. And I'm thinking that they just didn't like me for so many years because no one wanted to have an intense conversation with me. It was like they'd kind of look at me like I was a little bit annoying every time I got too intense. And then after about 10 years, I went, oh my gosh, I think they kind of love me. (laughs) I think they all love me. And then I realized, no, they're just, they connect by being together. So we had to kind of establish this bank of experiences, of shared experiences. And then over time they went, oh my gosh, you know, we've been together enough. I get you. I trust you. I love you. And for me, I was wanting those those intense conversations to, to build up that bank. And so we just make different little deposits in human connection. And then I think we wonder why our deposits aren't reaping any rewards with low intensity people. You know, if you're a high intensity person, you're like, we totally had that high intensity conversation. Why don't they want more? <laughs> uh, it's because they're low intensity and, you know, vice versa. I, I think it's brilliant. I'm going to use it a lot with clients. I work with a lot of people that working on relationships, whether it's their partners or children or in sporting context. And I think mm-hmm. this is just a great way for people to understand other people. There's one level that you didn't talk about. And this is mm-hmm. what my gorgeous fiance, Marie, mm-hmm. she ended up with as a shapeshifter. Oh, 
Oh, my gosh. Lucky duck is all I can say about Marie. So, <laughs> That's so, what I said to her too when she got that. I was like, oh, damn, I thought I wanted to be a shapeshifter when I heard Ali talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I'm kind of jealous of the shape. In fact, I'm kind of jealous of anyone who's close to the centre because I think human connection is easier for those people who are close to the centre. If you, if you think of the model as being that rectangle with the four parts. There's, and as I said at the very beginning when talking about the model, there's 17 types. So I've only talked about the, the four core types, but there's types for people who are right on the line in the middle of the four core types. And there's also the type, as you've just mentioned, Marie is dead center and they're the shapeshifters. So the people who are right in the middle of human connection, I call them the like universal human connection adapters. You know, when you take adapters overseas to connect into their electricity, <laughs> A shapeshifter kind of does that naturally. And it's so funny because I work with a shapeshifter quite closely. And while I was devising the model in the quiz, I was like, oh, you're totally a sunlight level three. (laughs) (laughs) She's not. She's a shapeshifter. She was just being, she was just going to my level when she was connecting with me because she's a a shapeshifter. So what a shapeshifter Mm. does is that they adapt their connection for the person that they're with. And so they're kind of like a mirror for human connection, which sounds great because that means that they would be able to connect with anyone, whoever they meet. The problem for a, a, a shapeshifter is that they're always accommodating, so they're never quite sure of their preference, their fundamental preference. So, so they've probably grown up in a situation where they were accommodating connection a lot of the time. And... And so that's great. Like, I mean, either way, all of the connection types have their challenges and they have their strengths. Mm. So I think the great challenge for a shapeshifter is actually spending a lot of time working out what is my preference about how I like to connect. Well, I think that's brilliant you put it like that because when when I started to then think about shapeshifter, I thought, well, I maybe I think I was more of a shapeshifter previously. Mm-hmm. But was that a good thing? Because I used to pride myself on being able to adapt to any environment, get along with anyone. But Mm. as I grew and adapted, I realized, hang on, I'm actually changing myself a bit too much to adapt Mm. to some of these environments and not truly being my my authentic self everywhere I go. And I clearly remember one day saying to myself, I'm not a chameleon. I am me with my beliefs and my values and I don't need to change who I am to fit in, Mm. but I can understand human behavior and who I am. And, you know, that's actually tiring trying to remember which version of yourself you need to be in different environments around different people. Exactly. And that's why I, when I, when I've started digging deeper into the different types, it's been really beautiful actually to see the the experience of each type to go, ah, you know, that does look easy on the outside, but underneath that would be quite tricky for exactly the reason that you said. And I'm even wondering about you know how you were saying your mum's an earth type. When we're when we're born, what we fundamentally need is the love of our primary caregivers. So I'm wondering if you're in an ocean too naturally and your mum's an earth, maybe that was you coming closer to the middle to to connect with her as mm. her child. Anyway, that's just <laughs> that's a total side point. But I think we do a lot of that. So, for example, me as a sunlight three, if I'd had a, a parent who was a tree, maybe I would have moved closer to the centre to connect with them mm. because they wouldn't have supported my sunlight threeness, you know, as much as my sunlight three parent did. They wouldn't have validated that as much. So I think – it does depend very much on your early environment and whether it's supported, but it's really important as an adult, I think, to reflect on what your connection preferences are because often we don't and we wonder why we might not be satisfied in a diff- in different contexts. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot to for everyone to learn through this. Now, Ali, I could actually chew the fat with you all day and I had some <laughs> notes here around habits and happiness and everything, but I think we'll have to get you on uh, another time to go through it. That would be great. <laughs> but there is a few questions that I ask all my guests yeah. and I've actually got a a couple of new ones actually that I'm starting to ask, but just curious to know what does your personal self-care look like to keep you physically, mentally and emotionally sharp in your ah. abundant sunlight life? Well, there is an assumption there that I am sharp. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I have this real philosophy on self-care because I've, I've thought about it a lot and I see self-care as being the fundamental way that you set up your life. So it's not like a Saturday or a Sunday going for a, a massage or doing yoga 
yoga on the weekend. It's not, that's not self-care for me. So I don't think of it like that. Self-care is the fact that I work part-time and that I put boundaries around my work so that on Thursdays and Fridays, I'm with my son, who's not quite three. And we have just that time together. You know, there's that quality time when you're parenting and then there's quantity time when you're parenting. And sometimes quantity time is just you know, watching someone build train tracks or just being in the next room when they're watching ABC for kids in the morning. So I make sure that I have quantity and quality time with my kids. I I like putting my children off to bed, not every single night. It can be a punish. It can take an hour or two hours <laughs> and that's really annoying. So I also, my husband and I organize a babysitter at least once a week, you know, and obviously there's weeks where we don't do it, but I try to get a babysitter and the, the boys love at the, the babysitters that we have. And so we'll go out for dinner either together or with friends once a week. I play sport. I play netball twice a week. My husband and I have just started this dynamic stretching routine in the morning for five minutes because I knew that if we did any longer, we wouldn't commit to it. <laughs> but five minutes is really easy, you know, like even star jumps and lunges and those whole body exercises, mm. but also core exercises that if you start the day doing them, you feel amazing and you can do it anywhere. You can have a yoga mat at home or you can be outside and, and just the two of us do that together. That's nice. I meditate every night. I read. I, I don't... I don't drink much. Like, I, you know, I might have a glass of red wine occasionally, like once or twice a week, but I don't, I don't really drink or I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm this a teetotaler or anything like that, but I just, I'm not a good drinker, which as an Australian, as an Australian will know what I mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, I, I get sick. I, I, it doesn't agree with me. So I guess that's easier for people, you know, if, if you're someone who is, who is very good at it. <laughs> That's a good um, problem to have yeah, if it doesn't it agree actually, with you. It is actually because my sister-in-law was asking me about that recently. She's like, why did you stop drinking? And I was like, oh, a variety of factors, but mainly it just – I, it wasn't enjoyable for me anymore. Like when I was a teenager, yeah, very enjoyable. Used to love it. Used to go out a lot. <laughs> Used to like love parties, love nightclubs. But then, you know, my early 20s, I just, I'd get sick if I drank too much. I'd get sick on the night. I'd get sick the next morning. So I don't drink, try to be healthy, love my heart, love my, love my family. <laughs> <laughs> and presence sounds like a big part of your life too. Yeah, but also striving for transparency in, in all my relationships. You know, mm. if there's something that's going on that doesn't feel right, just to asking the question, always communicate. Just just being there in my relationships, not always getting it right, but trying my best. I think that is important for my self-care. Speaking of questions, what yeah. do you wish people would ask you more often? Oh, uh, <laughs> maybe if I could talk about the human connection model, <laughs> being a sunlight level three. Yeah, I guess sharing more about just being able to do what I do in the change room, being able to speak, being able to mm. share, being able to connect with as many people as possible, being a sunlight three, high frequency, high intensity. I love talking about this stuff. So I guess if someone said to me, tell me about your work, like tell me about mm. how this human connection model works. I think that's the contribution I can make and makes me feel great when I can talk about it. What do you believe is good action for people to take to be more impactful in their lives and in their communities? Well, Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And that's kind of how I try to live. I think reading books to your children at night, really being careful with what you say to other children in your life, mm. being conscious of the impact. Like For me, it's children are so important and looking children in the eye, asking them about how they're feeling, like around emotional literacy with children, listening to their answer, like actually seeing them as like mini little Buddhas walking around, you know, they're little <laughs> sponges and they take on so much of what we say. I honestly, please, please, please don't let me come across as, or think that I'm this, you know, earth mother, like, hi children, how are you feeling? Like earth mother mixed with Julie, Julie Andrews from Sound of Music. I'm not at all. Like I'm, I'm just a you know, messy, normal parent like everyone else, but I just think children, they are forming who they are in those early years and we have such an incredible role to play in that. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's how. And oh, and to, sorry, and follow follow your heart, follow your passion because, you know, that's your that's your clue to the universe. You have some unique thing that you want to do that no one else wants to do and that's kind of like what you were given to be born with and I think we all need to, we have a responsibility to follow that. Speaking of following, where can we learn more about you? Uh, so social media or website, where's the best place yeah. for listeners to check out all, more? All of the above. So I'm very excited. I'm about to launch my new website and the URL is awalker.co. Mm -hmm. And then I'm on all the 
social media, Instagram and Facebook, and I'm on there as Dr. Ali Walker. Beautiful. I'll link all that in the show notes to make it very easy. How can I and the listeners help you on your journey? Oh, by doing the quiz. So do the human connection quiz. That's through my website. And I guess by talking to as many people as you can about the human connection model. Love and, it. And connecting with me. I'm a, I'm a sunlight three. I love connection. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And a little bit of connection here. One of my top core values is giving and I give all my guests a gift for giving their time and value on the podcast. And Ali, I'm going to bring you a gift for providing us with so much of your abundance. And that is, I'm bringing you one of our charity teas. So we have a, what's called life teas and 100% of the profits uh, go to the chosen charities that we have on board. So I'll see you back down at Zenergy in a couple of weeks and I'll bring that one down for you. Oh, thank you. I was on your website before we spoke actually and I was looking at the teas and I was thinking, oh, that's so great. So it's so nice. There you go. I'll let you choose which one you want to have then. Thanks. Thank you. That's lovely. I've had such a ball talking to you. Absolutely. No, I appreciate it. Now, before we finish off, we are wrapping up and you're going to do the fast five questions. But before we do, is there anything else that you would like to say to the listeners or is there anything you would like to ask me? Okay. Uh, I would like to say to the listeners to honour your connection style. Understand who you are, how you like to connect, and honor honor that because there's there's a beautiful contribution that each of us can make to human connection. Beautiful. That's what I'd like to say. I'd like to ask you a lot of things, but I think I'll ask you when I see you in person. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the fast five questions. This is where how we'll wrap it up. What's are you ready for it? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, excellent. What's one <laughs> habit you wish you could change? The the acting out like the you know quick to quick to anger like mm. yeah <laughs> what makes you feel absolutely pumped and exhilarated and energized a new idea mm. that, so reading something that makes real sense to me and that i think wow that's that's really that's cool that's life-changing yeah, that's disruptive that. that's yeah have you ever washed a dog uh yes i have what's the best piece of advice you've ever received oh all the midwives were coming into the hospital and giving me different different advice you know, telling me different things. You should do this. You should do that. Blah, blah, blah. And my mum just came in and said, just love him. You'll be fine. Oh, just love him. Beautiful. Just love him. Yeah. And final question. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Uh, my family, my, my, my husband, my boys, and then my, my extended family. Yeah. Ali, you're a legend. You're an energetic <laughs> soul that's creating impactful guidance for us to understand how to feel more fulfillment. Keep shining oh. your conscious light and level three sunlight to the world. <laughs> Thank you. That's so kind. <laughs> there she is. Follow your heart and honor your connection style. Make sure you jump onto Ali's website and follow her online so you can do the quiz to get a better understanding of yourself and other people in your life. Remember that the quiz might not be available for a while, depending on when you're listening to this. So it'd be worth maybe signing up to her newsletter and staying connected or following her online so you can jump on when it's available. Also, grab a copy of her book from the website called Get Conscious to learn more about everything that we spoke about in this episode. If you'd like to learn more about yourself and cover some of these areas with personal development material and guidance, as we spoke about in the intro, don't forget the Mental Strength Training online program is available for you to purchase and complete in your own time. All the details are on the website, yourlifeofimpact.com, and you'll see it under the tab that says online programs. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.